0: Well, I'd like to begin this afternoon's talk with a poem from Mary Oliver. You may know, The Journey. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble And you felt the old tug at your ankles. Mend my life, each voice cried. But you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do, Though the wind pried with its stiff fingers At the very foundations, Though their melancholy was terrible. It was already late, Enough, and a wild night, And the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, As you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. I think it's a beautiful invitation comment on our practice because a lot of what our practice is about is letting go of all the different forms of conditioning, all the stories we've accumulated over a lifetime, and finding our way to our voice. Our connection to ourselves, our connection to the goodness and the wholeness that is present in us. And it's often a prying away from those deeply held beliefs and conditioning. So, one of the places where this conditioning plays out on a moment-to-moment and day-to-day and year-to-year place is in our intentions, through our intentions. And I already spoke a little bit of how intention and attention works together, but you'll hear that coming through more and more as I talk. Intention is the place where our where what we might talk of as goals, where they actually get put into life. Goals are very abstract. They're sort of like, oh, oh, wouldn't that be good? But how much, if we just think something's good, or I want that, or that would be, you know, I want to wake up. That's my goal. Doesn't tell us, doesn't really inform us very much. It's that we have to come all the way to the intention, the moment-to-moment expression, and how that plays out day by day that leads us in a new direction, that sets us out on a journey. Intention itself, like attention, is inherently neutral. But it can be wise intention, and then it can lead us in a particular direction that's wholesome. Again, it's common in every moment of consciousness, and it actually has an organizing element. It's what it gathers and points all those other qualities that I mentioned that are present in each moment. It's the one that takes all of them and points them in a particular direction. It's what is the bridge between what has happened and what will happen. It's the, what's creating the path, the journey. What are you intending in each moment? What seeds are you, are you planting? Is another way of asking that question. There's a potential in any moment for going towards the wholesome awakening, uh, enlivening our goodness, and there's also the potential in any moment to reinforce habits that are not so skillful, perhaps ones that we've picked up over over time. The Dhammapada, probably the most famous teaching or, yeah, short teaching collection by the Buddha, has this very, very famous short phrase in it. Mind is the forerunner of all things. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts we make the world. Speak or act with an impure mind and trouble will follow you as the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world speak or act with a pure mind and happiness will follow you as your shadow, unshakable. And in this quote, thoughts is really the is intention. Volition. It's that we make the world with through this moment-to-moment activity that guides each, each place. Intention is the pivot point in the Eightfold Path between wise understanding and then skillful action or speech. So it is... So, wise understanding is primarily understanding the Four Noble Truths, what brings stress, what brings suffering, and how one releases from that. It's the understanding about clinging to the five aggregates, clinging to the sense of I, and clinging um, to what we want and what we don't want. That's the wise understanding. But the wise understanding by itself has to, has to play out. It, it has to move into the world. And intention is how that understanding has the potential to lead us to wise. In, the wise understanding leads us to wise intention. And hence, we have skillful actions, still skillful speech. And so it's this key point, again, sort of like what I was saying at the beginning about goals. It's like this key point where what we think is a good idea and what actually happens gets put into place. So one way of thinking about intention that is to think about these uh, series of concentric circles of what influences intention, what is coming to play in a given moment of intention. And I like to think that, and my experience is that the key, like the core of us, the fundamental drive in us that drives our intention is the drive to wake up, The drive, the enlightenment drive, some people talk about it as. The drive towards aligning with our basic goodness. The desire to be truly happy. To be kind. There's a very simple expression of that from Raymond Carver, called Late Fragment. And did you get what you wanted from this life, even so? I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on the earth. Such a simple, beautiful expression of this core direction that we want to go. And I'll, I'll read another one that, um, that I think it's so helpful to be reminded that this core uh, movement is here in us. This is from Longchenpa, a 12th century, I think, uh, Tibetan teacher. The mind is stirred up by ideas, which are like chaff. It is agitated by distractions, which are like the gusting wind. Thus, there is no access to its nature. But if you rest completely in the pure, settled mind, beyond arriving and departing, whence there is nothing to remove, to which there is nothing to be added, if you rest in primal wisdom all creating free from stain you will behold this nature as it is i think when we all hear that it's very natural for us to just feel like ah oh, that's where i want to head letting go of this chaff and this distraction that's what my deepest intentions maybe one thing that in, confuses us sometimes about this deep wholesome intention to wake up to be kind to connect with our own divine nature is that as we practice in this tradition we sometimes get the idea oh that's not okay because that's desire that's you know i'm clinging to some idea that i'm going to get somewhere and it's important to remember that desire has clinging in it it's like grabbing a hold and not letting go and there's suffering inten- inherent in that intention is the moment by moment orientation it's the moment it's the rudder that keeps us going In the north, in the to the north star, it's like we need to know where we're going, and intention keeps directing us that way if it's wise intention. So, I started here because wise intention is inherent in us, I feel, and certainly the Buddha points to this, that we have this goodness potential in us. And wise intention in the Eightfold Path is defined as the expression of renunciation, of goodwill, and of harmlessness. And what these are is an expression of the intentions that will bring us happiness. To intend renunciation, to intend kindness, to intend harmlessness will bring us happiness and alignment with our deepest goodness and our freedom. So I started here because I think it's important. I'm going to now say... Move into some of these concentric circles of intent, things that influence our intentions that are more obscurations, things that we have to work through. But it's important to remember at the core, we have these wholesome intentions. So another layer of intentions that we can watch play out and that's good to recognize is the very instinctual drive, the drive for food, for safety, for connection, for the basic uh, challenges and opportunities of survival, of being an animal, of being a body. And we can watch these intentions arise in and a lot of times in their pure form they're not a problem oh i need to, i'm hungry i need to eat something oh uh you know i'm cold i need to put on more clothes that there's and that urge arises and you can feel there it's in response it's a it can be many times an appropriate response to the circumstances that are arising. It also has in it the potential for distortion. We can get confused and think that this body, protecting this being, is somehow separate from all other beings. And that, that's where our instinctive drive starts to cause us tr- trouble, that our intentions become around me rather than the whole or us. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the basic joke that, it's, that uh, well, if you're out with, a, in a, with another person and the bear attacks you, you don't necessarily need to know how to fight the bear back you just need to be able to run faster than the other person you're with so that's like the an instinctual it's sort of a joke on us that you know our instinctual desire to survive over valuing you know somebody else's life so it's just interesting to watch how it can easily and we all know how the desire for food, which is a wholesome desire, there's nothing, feeding this body is good, but it can get distorted. The instinct to, and the impetus to have food can get distorted and we get it, the, the signal, the urge to get food may arise not from being hungry, but from being upset, from being distracted, from being bored. There's probably an unlimited number of ways that we can have that uh, come up. And there's many other examples like that. So that's one of the circles, these concentric circles of what influences intention, the basic instinctual drives and then the distortions of them. And then the next layer I want to mention is the emotional, psychological influences that we're carrying in us. And these are really from our whole history. They're developmental. And intention is often distorted in the course of our development. So we're taught to... um, we're often not all of us but we're often taught that our intentions are impure and that it's not okay and that we should be ashamed of them even i think of think of how many times you know a kid might say well i didn't mean to do that because that's what gets you out of the out of the corner you've painted yourself into right i didn't mean to but if you looked back at it no, I definitely meant to. It's just it's not getting the result that I was hoping for. What you really mean is, "Oh, that thing that I did that I thought would bring me happiness is not bringing me happiness, and I didn't mean to cause unhappiness for myself." But can you hear in when we say I don't mean I didn't mean to do that or Or we learn that the way to get what we want is to be a little bit um, shifty in what our intention is. I know when I was a kid, one of the places that was a challenge for me was that my mom didn't drive. And so if I wanted a ride somewhere, I'd either have to get somebody outside of the family or my stepdad to drive me somewhere. And... I learned to be ashamed of needing a ride. That that was, you know, I sort of look at uh, parents uh, carting around their kids all over the place. And I think, oh, my goodness, what an amazing thing to just be. Those kids have no idea they're being uh, just generously offered this gift but the distortion then that came in me as I grew older is that I sort of felt like I needed to somehow manipulate my way into getting what I needed or getting you know, trying to make it appear that it was not just me asking for something, but that somehow somebody else was going to get something out of it or that, uh, well, you could do, you know, if you give me a ride, then we could go have lunch and maybe we could stop and pick this thing up that you want. But really, I'm just asking for a ride. But the intention is getting buried in all this gobbledygook. This one, I rec- I I remember uh, in my 20s when uh, a friend pointed this out to me. They said, why don't you just ask for a ride? And I'm like oh my God, I could just do that? So you might notice for yourself the way that a very simple intention that's neutral gets all tangled up due to your history. Often this is what, when we, as we mature psychologically and emotionally, part of what's happening is the clarification of intention. We stop being quite so confused about it. You know, you might be able to, in a different way, express to a partner or a friend. Hmm. Okay, Keelan just told me my audio is cutting out. Okay, well, I'll keep going. I've just moved the computer a little closer to me, and let me know if you don't, if you're not hearing well. Um, I will... moment, please. Hmm. Okay, that didn't work. I thought maybe I could, there's another computer hooked up in my house, but um, I was trying to give myself more bandwidth. Okay, maybe it worked. Okay, I'll keep going. Where was I? Um so part of maturity is we start to develop more clarity both it, I think it's just maturity in our lives but maturity in our practice is that we start to have more clarity about the intentions as we ar- as they arise and we may be able to see that a given intention in a moment is mixed. It's got many different things coming into it. And that's okay. We're not waiting for some purity of intention, but we're tr- trying to understand what's happening for us and what, where we're coming from when we ask for something or when we think something or feel something. What is the intention that's here? Why are we doing something? What's the purpose of an action that we're taking? One of the actions that as our practice matures, we start really connecting with is how in a given moment we have that our intention is caught up with the sense of self, the need to reify the sense of self in a given moment. So many... if. if, i've really watched this on practice i've been uh sometimes you can see that so many of your moment to moment intentions their primary objective is to reinforce the sense of self and as you practice you may have noticed this happens sometimes is that there's a uh it's sort of like you're trying on different things. Like something will come in and it'll be like, um, maybe I can think about this, you know, and you start thinking it's sort of a presents itself. And if you're steady in your meditation, you might sort of go, I don't need to think about that right now. And then it might be, oh, I, I need to shift position. This I'm, I'm uncomfortable. Mm, actually, I don't need to shift position. And it's like, it's like Mara keeps throwing up these possibilities of ways for you to create a need, a desire for the me. Because when we have a desire, when we, have, when we pick up something we want, then we feel the I-ness of us. So there's, it's like this habit to reconstruct the me. And you might notice that when you're sitting quietly at times, the sense of I gets very thin and gossamer-like. It almost fades away. And, that's, and then something will pop up and we'll grab a hold of it. And then we're very sure about, and we can do it even like, oh, look, I'm doing such a great job meditating. You know, it doesn't take much. So those intentions are a whole category, I think, in themselves. The wanting to create a sense of me. It's not anything in particular we want, except to know I'm here. A lot of judgments and views are that way. You might notice that when people are having a strong opinion about something, like maybe you don't really have an opinion, but you might start to feel like, oh, well, what do I think? well, you know, what's my opinion about this? And it's like, maybe you don't have one. Maybe you don't need one. So there's this whole cultural, psychological layer with intentions that I've just been speaking to. And then there's another layer that is might say cultural, tribal, you know, that extends out further, uh, that has the influences of a much bigger container. In some places, it might fall into sort of like the things we think we should do, you know, the the, the intentions we think we should have, and then we have them because the, we think we're supposed to have them and it's often very difficult these are embedded in us you know if we're part of a certain um group of you know class of people if you come from a group of people that's educated and that says that you should go to college and then you decide not to go to college it's like oh my god you've bumped up against something or the opposite. You should get up, you know, you should grow up, go to a certain kind of work. And what? That's not what you want to do. I remember thinking about this uh, not long ago that I, my mom was a single mom in the 60s. And she wanted to do, she wanted to go back to art school. And she had two kids. And she applied all over the country. And she had a undergraduate degree in art history. It wasn't like she was fresh off the, you know, it wasn't like she didn't have already a background in it. And because of her status as a single mother, only one school let her in. Hence how I ended up growing in, up in uh, Columbus, Ohio. It wasn't where she didn't choose to go there, except that that was the only school that would admit a single mother. That And so her deeper intention to align with her own creativity, to express herself, way back at that first one I was saying, that's a very wholesome desire, was culturally not allowed. And you can think of all the different ways that you have taken on, and a lot of this, sometimes it's from the external, but we take it on. We have all these internal intentions that are the things we've accumulated from our culture that are and aren't who we may be. And all of this plays out in the moment. All these different layers of intentions that we're carrying are playing out In a moment-to-moment setting, and this is where our practice comes in and serves us, is that we can begin to really be conscious of what's happening. Are we carrying a story from our past that is influencing and creating the intention in this moment? Or is the intention in this moment arising from a simple physical need? Or is the intention in this moment aligned with our deepest wish for well-being for ourselves and others? And each intention, you can I talked about earlier, it arises as an urge. That's one way of talking about it. Or a subtle movement. Or at, sometimes it's talked about as an about to moment. That the intention is the about to moment, and this is not um, easy practice. I just in case in case you think God, I don't know about tracking these intentions. It is subtle, but it's super useful and important, and it's part. Um, it's a thing that when you're on retreat, when you're practicing more than 40 minutes a day or something, is easier to start getting in touch with. And that's why I wanted to introduce it and talk about it on this retreat, because then you'll have a little bit more opportunity to spend time with it. And when we feel this about to moment, When we feel that, we can then check. We start by just noticing the about-to moment. And you can do that in a very simple way, for instance. If you're sitting, um, the sit ends. And you can then just feel the about-to moment that follows the sit. Okay, now I'm going to move. Okay, what's that? Oh, I'm just a little uncomfortable. I'm just going to move. Oh, now I'm going to get up and I'm going to get up. Okay. Okay. Then you get up. And then I'm going to walk to the refrigerator. Oh, since we've been talking, since I've brought in refrigerator. Oh, I'm going to do my walking meditation. Like wa- watching and seeing the about to moment. And this is where the attention that we've been working with Because we're refining our attention, we can sense the about to moment and then bring our attention to that moment and say, okay, what's happening here? And then we can check, is it skillful or is it unskillful? Are we just looking for a sensual pleasure or are we acting out of a place of fear and trying to move away from that, or are we just trying to create a sense of I? Or are wholesome intentions arising? And the gui- and these these guidance guidances from the teachings are super helpful. Is renunciation arising in this moment? And one of the ways we renunciation is letting go. Is there a, an urge in this moment to let go of something? To release clinging. Ah, that's a nice, wholesome intention. Oh, I don't need to do that. Oh, there'll be more ease if I don't, you know, say that thing that I was about to say. That's a renunciation. Oh, I feel this urge to say something that wasn't so nice. Ah, oh, can let it go. Another way that... <clears throat> that the flip side of renunciation that the Buddha taught all the time is generosity. And what these this instruction around these wise intentions is that we're connecting with the intentions that align us with our true selves, with our deepest self. And the Buddha taught In such a way, these broken down things so that even when we're not really aligned in a continuous way with our true self, we have something to help coach us. We have um, encouragement from the teachings. So by practicing generosity, we're moving ourselves in that direction and then we see that, oh, this does align me with what makes me truly happy. And then we do that again and again, and these early habits we may have had, the conditioned ones, start to get replaced by the wholesome ones that align us with our deepest intention. So harmlessness is the second of the wholesome intentions that the Buddha offered. So now we've, in this discussion, I've moved from just intention to wholesome intention to wise intention, sama is the word. Just like we were talking about sama, the um, they use a different word, but the Yoniso Manasakara, the wholesome version. This is now the wholesome intention. So, harmlessness is a wholesome intention. And that is what the guidance around sila is an invitation to help us align with harmlessness. Many of us, it's super helpful to have some guidance. What does harmlessness look like? And there's, this, there's the precepts for us, the five precepts of non-harming. And as we engage in those, we are cultivating this wholesome intention and the feedback loop. So an example, just to sort of point point this a little bit more, that if we start to see ourselves saying something that isn't skillful, if in that moment we recognize that we have made a commitment to wise speech then there might be, a. we may not in that moment be able to be in contact with the fact that what we're about to say is going to make us unhappy and is going to cause problems, but we might be able to contact with just the fact that this is not wise speech. And in that moment, then we can hesitate and make it through that moment of the urge and replace it with, our deeper desire to follow the precepts and then now that's setting us up in alignment with our intention to be with our goodness and that this can play out in all sorts of ways using the teachings of of generosity and sila we can meet the moment we have something to Uh, evaluate an intention that arises. It's a way of saying, is this skillful or is it not? And since this is a little bit uh, more, how do you say, because this is at that pivot point of where things actually move into the world. So it's the next level up from attention. The attention is still just, marking what's happening here at intention there's about to be an action there's about to be a spoken word there's a thought actually arising so this is the moment when we can use things like sila and generosity and kindness to evaluate whether something is skillful or not so that's the third one is kindness goodwill To recognize that. And one thing, if you can feel in all of these, there's a very, renunciation, harmlessness, and goodwill, there's a very profound teaching. There's the understanding that we are connected to everyone and everything else. And that to harm any is to harm ourselves. To take more than we need is to take from others. To be unkind is to be unkind to another part of ourselves. Okay, there's, uh, I think I'll end. There's one more piece and I'll do that piece at the um at the next sit after dinner. So when we come back, I'm going to share just a little bit more of a sort of practical working with this, and then we'll be doing a little bit of inquiry first on our own and then with others to explore this intention. So I'll end with a poem that's from Rosemary Watula, Rome, uh, Tromer. And it's, uh, titled, In the Steps of RBG. And it starts with a quote. Real change, enduring change, happens one step at a time. From Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So this is Rosemary. So let me take one step right now. One step toward respect. And give me strength to take another toward clarity and though my feet might feel like stones let me take another step toward justice and another toward equity and another toward truth and though my legs may feel leaden and slow though someone else may step on my toes may I inch toward forgiveness may every step be toward a bridge enough divisiveness And as I go, may I find joy in the stepping, grace in the edging toward great change. But if there's little joy, let me step anyway, then take another step, and another, and another. So let's let the words settle for a few minutes.